Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's episode 152, January 23rd, 2020. Tomorrow's my birthday. And you're listening to, or maybe even uh, listening to, Human Factors Cast. <laughs> I don't know why I still have that in there. We will go back to video at some point, folks. I promise. And we are working on that for 2020. But I'm your host, Nick Rome, and I'm joined today by, you heard him. You heard him laugh over there, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. A few giggles in the beginning. How's everybody doing today? Well, I can tell you how I'm doing, but I'll tell you how I'm doing in a sec. But first, I just want to give a preview of what we're talking about this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about this uh, new experimental apps uh, from Google that are focused on reducing your screen time. Uh, we're also going to be taking a look at the best and wildest gadgets from CES 2020. And if you're panicking about your kids on your phones, maybe there's some new research that suggests don't do that. Uh, but first... Again, with some programming notes, we are in uh, 2020 now, and I've mentioned it like every week in 2020. We are working on some really exciting things behind the scenes, and I cannot wait to unwrap uh, some of these things because, uh, man, Blake, you and I know, you and I know there's some fun stuff going on, um, but what this means is that we hope to have some exciting uh, hopefully different, engaging content for you guys coming forward here in the next couple months. Um, I mentioned we have a Patreon revamp. We are, uh, I, I do have to do the whole affiliate link disclaimer thing now. You know, hey, we're, we're making money off of some of these links. Um, but again, that's, we're not actually making money. It just goes right back into the show and helps, helps keep the show afloat and helps us with some of these new initiatives. So uh, there's that. Um, yeah, we got some fun stuff coming up, and I really, really can't wait for you all to uh, to see. So, and just um, for everybody out there, I mean, we're we're we are reviving Patreon, like Nick said, but it's also going to be just general content for everybody to consume without having to pay us for anything. So it's going to be a lot more yeah, new good stuff point. coming out uh, across Patreon and across just the normal streaming services that you can find us on. Yeah, good point, Blake. Thanks for catching me on that. It's not just Patreon. It, it, we are. Uh, producing content. We are in the middle of, of actually testing out some interesting things for uh, 2020 that hopefully you find interesting. Um, and like I said, engaging and all that stuff. And we so, do have uh, a lot going on in 2020 beyond like the outside of ourselves. We've got like a whole nother venture coming out too. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah. Outside of human factors cast, we are involved in several other things that, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see pretty soon. We'll, we'll see pretty soon what, uh, what's going on with that. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. There's lots of exciting stuff. Uh, I, I honestly, Blake, don't think there's been a better time to be a human factors practitioner, someone who listens to human factors content. If you're engaged with the community, you know, like, uh, I know you and I, we're planning to go to a few more local events here in San Diego soon this year to, to kind of get involved in the community proper and, and uh, meet and greet. So uh, we'll be posting those on our Slack uh, when we're going. So that way, if you're in the San Diego area and want to meet up, you can come and meet up with us. Um, Absolutely. And if you're not, since it, this was successful at, I think it was HFES that was most successful, but I'll bring back like the live tweeting of events that we go to that are like talks or, you know, overviews or anything like that, just to allow everybody who's not in San Diego and doesn't get the some of the luxuries of having such a diverse community, um, at least experience a little bit of what's going on here. And maybe you can start your own kind of UX or human factors chapters in your city of your hometown. Yeah, and also uh, also do consider we are planning, uh, well, at least I am planning to attend some conferences this year, so that way uh, we get you coverage of those. Uh, I know last year was a little was a little difficult. Uh, you know, I, I had a small human to take care of, and that was a thing. But, you know, unless there's any other thing that happens, I, I'm not planning on having any other small, small humans this year um, to take care of. So, yeah, I, I should be good to go for that. And um, we'll we'll have it. 2020 is going to be awesome, man. I'm, I'm just so hopeful. And I hope this hope is contagious because, man, I just am so hopeful right now with all the stuff that we have planned. So much good stuff coming and so many nice new connections. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but Blake, I got to know what's going on in your world. Okay, so Nick, I 
Elise and I have a consistent problem that's not so much a problem from the outside, but when you live in a small apartment, it is a problem. So we both have a lot of books. We we are constantly reading, whether it's fiction or you know self help or learning how to do something, whatever it may be. So for one year at least, I am giving up books. What? Well, yeah, I'm giving up. Just, Blake, <laughs> wasn't it like last week or two weeks ago on the show we we recommended books? Yes, it was. But I'm not really giving up books. I'm giving up physical copies okay. of books, even though it's really hard for me to do because I love something about the the feel of the pages and being able to write inside of a book. Um, but what I am going to try and do for the next year is use the Kindle app on my iPad. And only if a book comes out that I really want to buy, as long as there is a like Kindle version of it, I will be able to get it and read it and that kind of stuff and talk about it here on the show if it applies to human factors. But I just one thing I wanted to talk about was just the experience of using like the Kindle app. So I don't have a Kindle proper; uh, I just use it through my iPad's OS. But the capability, like something, if you look through any book that I have that's not a, like a fiction book, if it's a reference book for fitness or exercise or you know medicine, whatever, there is just like chicken scratch everywhere. Every page is almost yellow. There's sticky notes hanging out of all of them. Half the pages are dog-eared. So I'm somebody who takes notes and references books a lot. Um, and using the Kindle app has actually re- do, have made that still possible, but I don't lose things out of the book like dropping my sticky notes out because I I recently been reading a new book by or Jocko Willink's new book about like t- tactics and strategy and how it applies to leadership. And going through that and like getting diving deep in kind of the experience that's created by Amazon and through the Kindle app, it's just pretty awesome because I'm I was very hesitant to like say that for a year I wasn't going to do anything but read things through my iPad because like a story that we have later, I'm not so sure that like always interacting with technology and reading things on my phone or computer is the best thing for me from a you know attention perspective or is it good for your eyes, all of that kind of jazz. But it's been an awesome experience so far uh, for the month of January at least or so far into the month. Um, and I just didn't, I didn't expect to be able to do basically the same thing I do with like paper books of like highlighting and dropping notes and then being able to quickly reference things and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a fun experiment for the year, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So let me ask you, Blake, so you're giving up books uh, and you're using just the app on your phone. Have you thought about purchasing like a, um, like a standalone, this is my device to like, like, like a Kindle proper. Have you thought about buying one to kind of say like, this is where I keep my books? Gotcha. Um, Yeah. So what I've done is I actually recently bought a new iPad because I, it was time to like kind of, I was having a lot of computer problems with my main workhorse and that was actually affecting some of like my ability to meet with students and stuff like that. So I bought like on iPad is an intermediary as I save up for a better, you know, desktop computer. Um, and so I'm using it through there, uh, just because I've already got a Kindle app account that like has books attached to it. And like with the addition of like the Apple pencil, I think is what it's called. Um, like sifting through and highlighting stuff makes it really easy. I can actually do handwritten notes instead of typing stuff oh, out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been using. Um, not just my phone, but actually the iPad, iPad itself because I find reading on the phone is really hard because it's just the text is a little bit too small and it's a little wonky with highlighting things and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about getting a Kindle uh, Fire, one of the HD ones, uh, the the color versions for Stadia, and you know also for reading um, reading books on it as well. So I I'd be curious to see how your uh, how your whole year goes without buying physical copies of books um you mentioned the jacko book what was that one yeah so this is it's a book by jacko willing so he's a retired navy seal and what it's it's called i think it's called tactics it's something like that it's like strategy and tactics it's a leadership field manual um so something i've been dealing with a lot at work and like in my personal life for probably most of my life is feeling like i'm an imposter in the terms of i don't really know how to lead people and I see like gaps that I could be filling, but don't know like how to go go about doing it, or how do you really learn to be a leader? So that like, and I've I found that his previous book, uh, him and another 
Exil wrote called Extreme Ownership, like really helped me a lot in terms of like change my mindset and being a little bit more positive and like just get shit done type of mantra in the back of my mind whenever things get hard. So this is actually a book I'm hoping to learn a little bit more of like, how do I become a better designer for my team? How do I lead other designers? That kind of stuff. Man, Blake, you you always come up with the best book recommendations because every time I hear you talk about one, I always I always want to go out and get it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, it's a it's a good one, so it's one of those that's worth kind of at least like getting the sample from Kindle or something. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely check it out. Um, but you Nicholas, know, what's going on with yes. you, man? So as as we jump into this new year, I um have made a resolution, if you will. Uh, there's there's a lot of people out there that make resolutions for the new year. But uh, mine is to kind of just be brave enough to try something new. Um, I want to suck at something, and I want to learn how to do something better. Uh, and that thing that I'm talking about is... Um, big surprise here. I am a Star Wars fan, and we know this. No! Yeah, Go figure. Nick's talking about Star Wars again. Uh, but, you know, the actual project itself involves several different, like, crafting um, skill sets. So the the ultimate goal here is to make, like, a Star Wars control panel, um, if you will. So, so something that if you were to look at this, you'd be like, yeah, I could see that in the Star Wars universe. Um, there's this guy on YouTube called uh, Smuggler's Room. Uh, or it's a channel, and he basically kind of builds all these different Star Wars-inspired um, things, and he uses different crafts and technology to put them together. And so, like, my goal for 2020 is to just... It's its not big. It's literally build a Star Wars control panel. And what this is, is it's probably, like... It's probably going to be, like, maybe just slightly bigger than the size of a sheet of paper. But what that means is that I have to first hone my woodworking skills and build a box out of mdf right so i've been slowly what is mdf it's like medium density fiberboard it's a it's yeah it's a it's a type of wood that you can Mm. buy it's fairly cheap and expensive nice um so so first things first i have to kind of grab all these the the woodworking aspect of it cut the wood uh you know glue it together do all that, right? And then there's, like, the painting aspect of it. There's the, like, how do I seal the wood? How do I paint the wood? How do I, um, you know, seal the wood? All that stuff. Did I say seal twice? Anyway, the point is... Gotta um, double seal it. It's a, it's a different skill set. And then there's, like, different sections on this thing that are going to be pinstriped off. So I'm going to have to learn how to pinstripe. Uh, I'm going to have to learn how to... Uh, you know, measure and plan where I want all my buttons. So I have these really cool clicky arcade buttons. Like, you know, if you were to go to one of those old school arcade um, uh, uh, arcade machines and, and press the button, they have that, like, nice uh, click to them. Like, like Street Fighter style buttons? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so you click on them, uh, and they just glow white with LEDs behind them. And so, um, you know, I'm going to make this control panel so... So I have these buttons, so I'm going to put them in, and then the next step is going to be like an electronics project of figuring out how to wire up these buttons to actually do things like turn on the lights or, uh, you know, you know. so like I could have this control panel basically hook up into an Arduino and hook up to Wi-Fi that would power my Philips Hue lights around the house. Um, so there's some coding project. There's some elect- electrical wiring projects there. So basically it's like it's one project, it's a control panel, and I'm not fooling myself. The guy on on Smuggler's channel, the Smuggler's Room YouTube channel, he is basically like re-outfitting his entire basement to look like the inside of a Star Wars spaceship. And that's I have, incredible. <laughs> I want to start small. I just want a small little control panel that I can call my own, and it does like these cool, interesting things. Um, and I feel like it's it's enough skills to where like I can just try something different every month, and I feel like that will keep me going because it'll be it'll just be something new and different. And I like strongly encourage anyone to go out and find a project that incorporates multiple different facets into it. Like I wanted a project that was going to push me in different ways. Like when this thing's done, it's probably gonna suck. Um, 
like I've worked on things like this before in the past. Like I, I know you've seen my flux capacitor. I've actually built a flux capacitor. Um, yes, he has. And it's <laughs> really cool to look at. Holy shit. Uh, so like uh, putting together this, this piece is going to be, is going to be fun. Um, I, I think, I think I can do it. It's just going to be a matter of like setting aside time and actually doing it. Uh, I will even post pictures in our Slack as I'm going through and doing it. Uh, so right now I'm in like, I'm in the phase of like collecting tools and resources required to build this thing out. Um, I, I have, you know zero hope that i will buy everything right now but so that's why i'm kind of breaking it down into phases right because i'll do one thing uh make sure that piece is done and then i'll buy the pieces for the next part of it and that way it's not such a big hit financially either you know i think this panel is probably going to cost me like a hundred dollars overall um across all the tools and and uh materials well it's probably going to cost me like two hundred dollars because i'm starting from scratch but you know you know what i'm saying like i don't want to go out of pocket so deeply uh to start with so i'm kind of just getting a little bit of pieces here and there to kind of play with it. That's pretty awesome. So do you have like a schematic you're starting from or did you like create one or are you just going off of like a couple of things that you've seen on this guy's YouTube channel and going from there? Uh, a little of both. So I have schematics from actual control panels in the Star Wars universe. Go figure. Oh, that's um, awesome. Uh, and so I'm kind of making my own based on what I need, right? So I'm trying to identify what uh, I still haven't, identified exactly what buttons I'm going to use and what button does what and what color combinations I'm going to use and what types of LED indicators I'm going to have, right? So there's going to be several different things on this. I just don't know what they do yet. Um, so first thing, like I said, I'm building that box. And once I have that box, then I can be like, then that's when I'm going to start thinking about, okay, well, this one's going to turn on the lights. This one is going to, um, you know, play the Star Wars theme on my... Amazon devices, this one's going to do something else, you know, like, so I'm going to start, like, thinking about what all these buttons do, and what types of buttons I should use for those, uh, this one's going to be, like, an LED randomizer, so that way it looks like it's actually doing something, you know, you push that one first, and it starts everything up, and makes them start blinking, and, and rotating through a series of, you know, stuff, so that's going to be all fun to code up, and, and try to do on my own, um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at, I just, I, I just want to encourage everybody, no matter what it is, like even if it's a new skill at work or if it's something that you uh, you you want to do extracurricularly, like tr be brave, try something new. If I can do it, you can too. <laughs> Look at that, Nick coming through with the motivation for sure. And I think I think you're right. It's important to one make yourself do stuff that's uncomfortable, like we talked about earlier, like just going to more, you know, UX meetups or meetups in the local area. I mean, and getting to know people or learning a new skill or trying a new brand new project. I mean, ultimately, the return on investment that it can have both like just the gratification of doing it, but also of like the the, uninspect, the unexpected results like down the road. Right. So like for you, right, you're going to get you're going to touch it on like doing electronics, wiring and coding. That's like that's something they could play down into the role, your role as a human factors engineer later on. Who knows? Um, yeah, you'll never know when those skills. Everything. Yeah, you'll never know when those skills will will come out, right? And that's kind of where I thought is like those coding skills that might actually help me with front end stuff someday, or you know whatever it is. Um, it'll just kind of give me a greater awareness and like put more skills in my pocket. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Twenty twenty is going to be great, it's shaping up better and better every time we talk about it. Yeah, no kidding. I'm I'm really hopeful. I'm I haven't been this hopeful in a very long time. It's it's a good feeling, man. <laughs> it's Absolutely. a good feeling. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I think we've droned on long enough about our personal lives. So why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show? All about human factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical, we got some security in there. You name it. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, it is fair game for us to talk about. Blake, what do we have up first this week? All right, so this week, Google has debuted experimental apps that are focused on digital well-being, including one that offered a notification mailbox, another that tracked how long you went between phone unlocks, and even one that let you print the information you needed from your phone for, for the day so you wouldn't have to use your phone, to name a few. And now Google has launched three more apps to this unique collection, one being an app that lets you put your phone in an envelope. Yeah, that's an envelope. 
Google explained that at the time, that at this time, uh, oh, hold on, let me back up a second. So in addition to the envelope app, you've also got an activity bubbles app and then a screen stopwatch app. So Google's explained that these different digital well-being experiments are to inspire designers and developers to help keep digital well-being at the top of the mind when you're building technology. So while some uh, some of the experience may be out there, like the envelope for the phone, the overall goal is not really to make these apps mainstream, but to get people to think about phone and app addictions and how you can overcome them through technology. Interesting from the company that said, no longer will we have it as our ethos to not be evil. But nonetheless, right. Keep <laughs> keeping things in the mental <laughs> and well-being space. I just had to throw that out there because I came back came back up recently on a podcast I was listening to. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But these are nuts. So that we've got again, just to reiterate, because I butchered a little bit at the beginning. We got the envelope app, uh, activity bubbles app, and the screen stopwatch app. Yeah, so these are the three that we're going to be talking about. Google has a whole suite of uh, apps and technologies that they're using. Um, but these three are kind of interesting in their approach, right? The, the, I think the simplicity kind of of the second two is is really interesting to me, right? The simpler you can make a data visualization uh, and communicate some important things to the person that it affects, the better. And so in this case, we are looking at two data visualizations, one that shows exactly how long it's been since you've picked up your phone. Um, and this is this is very useful. I mean, it's basically like a background image that's just kind of, uh, you know, counting up as you're not using your phone. Um, and then the second one here is a bubble chart of, uh, of kind of activities. So like it basically what it represents is it, it the bubble gets bigger and bigger as you use your device more and more. And again, it's like a live wallpaper. So you can see as you use these things, they kind of fill up in the background and you're like, Oh wow. Uh, I've been on my phone this many times and like some longer than others. And so I think the simplicity in these displays are, um, are key here. The interesting one to me is the envelope. Can we talk about the envelope, Blake? <laughs> we can, we got to talk about the envelope. Like, this is so, this is pretty crazy out, and out there for me. Because, like, when I first read it, I assumed that it wasn't actually an envelope. Uh, but, no, it, it indeed is putting your phone in an envelope. It, it's a physical envelope in which you seal your phone. Um, and some of the key technologies are still available as you as you put your phone inside this envelope. So you're still able to basically make a phone call uh, through some of these um, data displays. You're still able to do like a phone call. It's like an interactive envelope. You're still able to make a phone call. Sorry, you're still able to take pictures and uh, take video, although you won't be able to review those until the end of the day. Yeah, um, which I thought was interesting to include like the camera functionality inside the envelope. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Like, if, if you see something that you just want to capture that you're like, oh, I want to remember that by, like, let me just take a picture, it kind of encourages you. It's like it's like one of those old school cameras, the the um, ones that you rotate the... Yeah, it's like those Kodak so. cameras that you can grab <laughs> yeah. from a, like, drugstore. And you can, like, take, I don't know, Disposable 50 shots. Cameras. Disposable cameras. Disposable cameras. And you have to actually <laughs> get the film <laughs> developed. That's insane. Oh, yeah, man. some people listening to the show don't even know what those are. Uh, <laughs> Old, oh man, oh man, uh, but yeah. So uh, it, I think this is really neat. I do uh, too. It makes me wish that, or it makes me want to see if like Apple's got some kind of analog to at least the the active wallpapers that are checking out like how much time you've not spent using your phone or how much activity you have, um, and the envelope. I'd try the envelope. I think it'd be fun to just like put my phone in an envelope for the day. Yeah, and the thing, the interesting thing about the envelope is that there's like, there's a physical component to it that like, if you you're sealing this envelope, so if you open it, it's not just like a, a open up the back and pull out your phone. It's like you have to rip it open, and so like, I mean, you, I'm sure you could probably tape it and cheese it that way, but like. I don't know. There's something too, like ripping something open that has like a finality to it. Like it will never be this finished again um, until you slide it in a new envelope, you know, but uh, I think it's cool. So when you actually pull it out of this envelope, it tells you exactly how long you have um, 
basically spent uh, the day without without your phone. And so, like, you know, you see it and you're like, oh, it's been eight hours. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay, so I've been without my phone for eight hours, basically. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like this this push for digital well-being um, is a fairly new one, but it's also very important. Right. Like. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I need a digital detox, but I don't know if I'm brave enough to make that step. So I don't know. That's an interesting thing. Like I really, I would like to be able to take a digital detox. Like I, like it would just be nice. Even if it was like a full weekend of no interaction with technology at all. Um, but if it seems to be pretty difficult, more difficult to do than I would like to admit for sure. But it, it's definitely something I want to experiment at some point with this year of like literally getting away from the phone, like going camping or something like staying away from anything that's tech related that I typically am basically attached to, whether it's my laptop, my phone, iPad, computer, work, any of that kind of stuff. Um, Cause it's, it'd be interesting to know what that's like. Cause it's been, I feel like it's been forever since I haven't not, not interacted with technology. Yeah. It's so, it's so pervasive in our lives now that, uh, it's hard to separate from like, is it a tool or is it something that you use for pleasure and enjoyment? It's kind of both at this point. Like I use it for a calculator all the time and like, um, I'll use it as a researching tool when I'm out and about and I think of something, I want to put that information from my head out into the world. So that way I don't forget it. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm thinking about, uh, how much does this thing cost? Or how like oh I'm let me just scribble down this quick uh, schematic or whatever of an idea I had, and if I didn't have that, um, you know that would that would be I'd have to force myself to find other ways to do that right like carry a notebook with me and just write stuff down which you probably should you should absolutely carry a notebook with you and just write stuff down all the time yeah um. But then how do you catalog and search for those? Do you schedule a time later to put them all in? Like it's, it's tricky, right? I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those things that I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. It'd be interesting to see if you, this ever crosses your mind. Like, uh, so I do that with my phone all the time. My phone has become so much more than just like the, just like the thing that I make phone calls on. Like I use it for exactly the things you've described it for. And I use it for so much productivity stuff of putting reminders on my phone, leaving myself notes and then setting reminders to go reread my notes and stuff like that all the time. I'm wondering what it's going to be like when we no longer are interfacing with a phone to do this anymore. Cause like BCIs they're, they're here, but it's a, it's such an early stage thing. It's very invasive. Um, but I'm wondering what happens and how does it impact lives in general when we're no longer really having to, okay, I had an idea and I need to write it down or I had an idea or I have a question and now I got to go grab my phone, search through Google, absorb the question. What if it's all at your basically not fingertips anymore, but it's at your neurons. And so now you're not even really worrying about the the interface between you and the phone it's just basically like you're having the idea and if the idea is a question you already are looking actively for the answer or if you have have it in your mind you need to store something you can basically put it in your bci storage if you will or write it down in your mind i don't really know how that would work oh Um, my god if you could index my brain and like just search through it uh, that'd be cool. I, like all the ideas you've ever had and be like, Oh, file that one away, file that one away, or just have it automatically file, you know, file. Uh, if you had an AI system that was plugged into your brain, that was just filing things automatically and tagging it with, uh, like words and numbers and days and all this stuff, like all this metadata that you could search through and be like, I searched for something the other day, but I don't remember what it was. And then it would be like, what is your idea of the other day? Pull up that set of things. Um, pull up your personal searches or whatever. You know, like, that'd be cool. That'd be really neat. Well, now even think about, like, we are, I hear often this, like, phrase of, like, uh, we grew up with the internet. So it's it's just, like, we, we're, we're so used to it at this point, and it's become such a ubiquitous thing. Like, now it's on your phones, now it's everywhere else. But what happens when kids are growing up with BCIs that are, like, maybe even put in a human at a very young age. So you have like metadata of your entire life. It's not even just about like the stuff that you're acquiring, you know, from an informational perspective, but like, what if you could actually have memories of what it was like when you were, you know, your son's age 
or you know when you were 10 years old or whatever it's just i think there's a weird amount of possibilities that come with understanding and cataloging that amount of data in your mind um, in addition to like being having you know information at your fingertips or in your brain at all the times yeah i feel like okay so we're kind of opening a can of worms here but also think about like the implications of that right like human memory is fallible but if you could dump that and present what you experienced in a courtroom uh and have it be the exact thing that you experienced or like go to a therapy session and why do i have all these problems and you go back to your infant memory and realize that you know a family member abused you in some way like that would be both traumatizing and you know it, it and also enlightening for actually you know what happened right cuz yeah i think anyway we're on the, we're on this like huge tangent to this but yeah we're getting really meta but it was just an interesting thought that i've had recently about like the amount of, that i interact with technology and whole, how it's only really going to grow it's not going to get less in any likelihood so it's it's just a cool thing to think about sometimes all right well why don't we go ahead and get into this next news story all right for the next news story we're going to break down some of the best and wildest gadgets from ces 2020 so nick and i have gone through and picked a couple of them that we figured we'd go over and talk a little bit about um so nick do you want to start off with your number uno numero uno i forget which one i put first let's see here it was was it the bike or was it the i think it was the hydrofoil bike okay so let's talk about that first so there's this hydrofoil uh hydrofoiling bike by manta 5 it's an electric hydrofoiling bike and it basically um allows you to take electric bikes into deep water so they're shipping this in new zealand and in the United States in a few months here. Um, and I just think this is awesome because it's kind of like a jet ski, uh, but not. And it's, uh, I don't know, I've always had, I grew up by the water, and I've always kind of had, like, these um, dreams about, like, flying over the water and this hydrofoiling bike kind of does it for me. I don't know. <laughs> the the price the price point is kind of tempting, too. It's like $7,500. So if you're not, like, you know... You pay that off over a couple years and and have a little fun on the water. Um, it might be worth it. That's incredible, dude. I like. Yeah. That. What What do you have up first here? So at first, I've got the. It's called Relief Band Sport Wearable. So we all know that I'm a big fan of wearables in general. I mean, how many people do you know that are wearing two at once? Uh, but this is a little bit different in terms of when we're talking about like sports or tracking. This is actually like a, a using the wearables in the sense of like relief. So this really focuses on delaying and reducing motion sickness. So it's a it's a perve- it's a prevention wearable exactly for motion sickness, and this is actually like some sport version. Um, so basically, it's just waterproof. So now they've made it so you can jump into the ocean if you have it on. Because um, one particular use is that they mention here at least is that it's for you know reducing motion sickness on people that are like traveling on boats if you tend to get seasick or anything like that. Um, but actually, taking a little poke at their website as well. They have versions that they actually give to chemotherapy patients and people that have to have like really big bouts of nausea and it actually is super helpful for them as well. Um, but I just thought it was an awesome kind of take on wearables. Like again, in the in the realm that we, we kind of like back and forth on, on the show a good bit of using wearable technology to track and help you in your health health life and then this is like using some kind of concept like that where it's at least like monitoring vitals and trying to help you figure out how to get over your own nausea symptoms yeah the cool thing to me though is that this uh the this latest relief band that they showed off here at ces um it can actually hook into the apple watch band so that way you can kind of wear both of them on one band and you don't really need a display for this one i don't think no Um, it's just basically like an on off in this case yeah so you can kind of wear that underneath and your apple watch face on top uh it'd be it'd be cool to see if this technology like just gets uh miniaturized and pushed into fitness trackers by default um, I always get excited about when you have some sort of technology on the wrist, how can you miniaturize it? How can you incorporate it already with existing things, right? Um, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm also the type of person that wouldn't mind a whole, like, wrist gauntlet of, like, 
stuff you know like if i'm just wearing a gauntlet of like you know it could take my heart rate it could take my blood pressure it could take my motion sickness readings or whatever um i and if it had a really long battery life i'm down for that too Um, (laughs) that's the best yeah so i don't know i i'm weird like that too but yeah I, i i think that's cool yeah, it looks like that's what they're doing, poking around their website. They're actually looking to make more integrated technologies later like this, uh, similar to like what a Fitbit does. Uh, so it looks like that's that could be on the horizon for 2020 or 2021. Yeah, speaking of miniaturizing, um, I, I know we'll jump into your second one here, but the, the LiDAR, being like that's the size of like a hockey puck, basically. They've basically taken LiDAR technology, which if you live in any metropolitan area, you may have seen like driver driverless vehicles driving around with these big setups on top. That's LiDAR. And so they've managed to miniaturize that setup into this hockey puck, which is really cool. Anyway, that's not on my list. I just wanted to bring that up as we were talking about miniaturization of technology. Uh, what's your second one there, Blake? So I've got this uh, AO Air. So AO Air's air filtering face mask. So it... it Instead of just like, you know, sheltering you from what's in the environment, it looks like it actually protects people that wear it from hazards in the air by pulling that dirty air um, from from behind the wear, filtering it, and then actually blowing it out in front of you. So it's kind of an interesting take on – this reminds me of like something like biohazard mode that's in – what do you call it in a Tesla? Tesla. But basically this is just taking – taking an air and then shooting it in front of you so that you now have, I guess, I guess much more like positive or cleaner air to, to breathe in. Uh, so it's, it's a strange concept in some ways in, in that you're like, you're wearing it and it's kind of going over your nose. It's going in front of your nose and mouth, uh, but it doesn't like seal tightly against your skin or anything. So it's just kind of comfortably sitting there. Um, but so the so the reason this one's cited a little it is that it talks about like the California wildfires is something that you could be use it for. Um, it kind of worries me with or like what the necessity of something like this would be, right? Like how often we may need to see or have to take these out because I know like in some of the more metropolitan areas, like air quality can be pretty bad depending on the day. Uh, but it's surprisingly cheap to basically filter the air that you're experiencing. So it's like three hundred and fifty bucks to have, be you know always sucking in clean air. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know. I I worry about this type of technology when the air quality gets so bad, um, like our poor friends down in Australia right now who are dealing with those fires, you know, like the air quality gets so bad to the point where, like, you really just can't go outside. And with this, I I mean, I get it for, like, light fires or whatever, um, but I just don't know if it would do the job in, like, these heavy-duty things, like, like, tesla's biohazard mode you mentioned earlier would um you know there's videos of that of families driving (laughs) driving through these fires uh with the biohazard mode on and i just don't know if if uh this would do enough for that um it's still cool technology uh i think you know anytime you can i I mean it looks cool it looks like cyberpunky you know (laughs) oh very much so yeah I definitely want it. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know how much how much it'll do, right? Like, I may be actually looking for that full face mask biohazard mode, um, you know, with a HUD display. And, you know, I, and this is me. <laughs> I mean, th- I think that this could have a lot of application. I wonder what it looks like when they test it out and then they end up developing more intensive versions. Because this feels like something that could be very – it's not the intended use right now for sure. Um, by the company, but I feel like this is a technology that you could, you know, put in military face masks uh, to deal with, you know, poisonous gas or something like that. Um, but again, they would have to be a lot more intensive, and this is very much just a small face wear piece that uh, isn't even sealing against your face. It's just kind of sitting in front of your uh, nose and mouth. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to jump into my last one, which is actually something that I mentioned last week uh, and is pretty much the whole reason why we're doing a ces like small recap because i mentioned last week we usually do a ces recap and we didn't so here it is um this is sunflower labs and this is that home security drone that i talked about so um basically we're looking at smart motion vibration sensors distributed around a property um would basically send out a drone uh to investigate when something goes wrong right like 
So if, if uh, you have like a pressure sensor outside, it could send this drone out to investigate. Um, and it sends this live video stream to your smartphone. Uh, and the real kind of deterrent is the presence of this drone, right? Like if you have somebody trying to break into your place and a drone comes out of nowhere, um, you know, that's making it known that, hey, there's a security system here. It's not just passive. It is an active security system that is going out and, like, capturing information. And so, like, you know, they're, the bad guys are not super likely to stick around to see what happens next. Um, and so the interesting thing to me about this is that the uh, fly time is about half an hour. Um, so and it, it basically just docks with the self-charging station. Uh, about after about 15 minutes so there's a lot of stuff going on here um the price tag though is ten thousand dollars so oh yeah well i'd say so for a self-sensing drone that you can just like send out and do recon of your house yeah it's pretty cool and i mean like it's pretty cool, man. It looks I'm not gonna awesome. Lie. I, I I would really love to like get this system just because I would like to be sitting in, like at work or in my car and just send it out, let it walk walk oh. around the apartment or go check out the dog or something like that. You want to go have these on it? We should. Okay. We don't live that far <laughs> apart. We can just like send it back and forth across. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It'll be good. <laughs> It'll be good. Uh, I don't. Could it make it in thirty minutes? It could probably make it in thirty minutes. Oh, it can um, do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, just put a gun on this, like a fake gun even, and like, that would really freak people out, you know? <laughs> yeah, that'd be the end of it. Oh, put a God. Nerf gun on it, just shoot the bad guy. <laughs> oh, jeez, uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's it for the CES 2020 recap. Um, there's a lot more interesting things. What were your favorite things from CES? Let us know in our Slack, uh, and you know what? We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back down to break the remaining news story down right after this short break. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, we're back. Uh, I just want to thank all of our friends over at TechCrunch, um, IEEE Spectrum, and Yahoo News for all of our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, uh, we do post these links to the articles as we find them in our Slack, like I mentioned earlier. It's a great place to actually discuss what we're talking about here um, because, you know, there's there's some uh, great conversation that happens around some of these. It's like, oh, yeah, that's this is an application for that. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we actually miss on the show that we talk about in there. So join us on our Slack. Uh, links in the description below. Uh, we got one more article this week, Blake, to break down. Uh, what do we have up next? I ironically want to hear about this one in our Slack because even if you don't have kids, I'd love to know what your opinion. Everyone are. has a thought and opinion on this one. Oh, yeah. So are you panicking about your kids and their phones? So the new no. research says don't. So it's it's become common wisdom that too much time spent on smartphones and social media is responsible for a recent spike in anxiety, depression, and other mental health problems. Hold on a second. Especially among teenagers. But a growing number of academic researchers have produced studies that suggest the common wisdom is wrong. The latest research published com combs through about 40 studies that have examined the link between social media use in both depression and anxiety among adolescents. And that link, according to the professionals, is small and inconsistent. Interesting. So this is kind of like a meta-analysis of a bunch of studies that already exist, breaking down, are people really 
feeling worse by interacting with too much social media is really what I'm getting. Yeah, it, yeah. And so I just I have some fun facts here that we can talk about. Um, so Congress has passed legislation uh, to examine the impact of heavy smartphone use and um, basically pushed investors to pressure big tech companies to change the way they approach younger customers. Uh, so there is some anxiety there. The World Health Organization said last year that infants under a year old should not be exposed to electronic screens. Ah, bad okay. dad over here. <laughs> bad dad over here. Um, and the children between the ages of two and four should not have more than an hour of sedentary screen time each day. So, like, already failing as a parent, I feel bad about it. But, like, honestly, when... Like you just want something to distract him. It's like it's anyway. It's it's not a pacifier. We do try to engage in other ways first. I don't know. It's I feel so bad saying this, and I feel guilty about it. But like you know, there's sometimes just the vibrant visuals of a children's cartoon does it. You know, I don't know. Hey anyway, man, I'm not a parent, and I don't even pretend to understand. I have. I'm not holding any qualms against you. I think we live in a thanks, very man. different time and world. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then we have also, you know, Silicon Valley. They're, the tech execs are, are kind of making a point of uh, keeping the devices and the software they develop away from their own children. So they even see the merit of keeping things away from children because it's still kind of like a Wild West in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a untapped um, sort of uh, – we, we don't know the impacts yet. And you know. that makes kind of sense based off like a story we heard probably last year or sometime or maybe the year before of like one of the major Facebook original Facebook executives stepping down because he had finally seen kind of the impacts of like Facebook on people right. and sucking their lives up and kind of the amount of data they were collecting and how wrongfully it was being used. So I could imagine that like big executives who understand what the technology is meant for and how it's actually getting you attracted to using it would be like, no, 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 don't don't even get near that. Yeah, uh, in 2016, um, as more research came out, uh, basically there was a statement that um, you know that, that Facebook and depression. Oh, excuse me, Facebook depression and um, all that stuff was linked. And so, in 2016, as more research came out, they kind of decoupled that and and said that Facebook is no longer a um, a cause of depression. Uh, and that there's a lot of conflicting evidence and um, there's actual potential benefits of using social media. But that sounds like a 2016, like, oh, social media is good now type of thing to me. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, um, it's a clickbait article title there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway, I, I don't know. What do you think about this? You're not a parent, so I want your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I have just zero opinions. Um, do you let your dog watch TV? They're the same, right? Dogs and babies, they're the same. He does not care for the television, unfortunately. Wow. He hears that every once in a while and gets really excited, but he's not a big television watcher like his dad. Uh, man, so, okay, I ha even though I have kids, I still get concerned about myself, about my my mom, who's older than I am, like in her 60s, like my, my any, anybody that I know that interacts with technology a lot. Because um, I've got, I've even got like family members that that's kind of what they spend their day doing. Like maybe they're retired and they just sit in a chair and look at their iPad all day, looking at social media or surfing the web, and that's like a nine, the nine to five, right? Right. And so when when we start talking about, and again, this is the scientist in me, when we start talking about like social media is the problem or technology is the problem, I think that it's ultimately impacting you, and there's like multiple things that are like cult cultivating you and having anxiety or depression and linking it to one thing is doesn't make any sense to me um because it's it's like okay we can go this route right and some of this people will disagree with that's fine we can talk about it in slack uh, but let's let's say that evolutionarily you typically did not have a phone and you didn't have a computer and maybe you were actually out doing things even more like even when i was a kid i was much more active because i didn't have like a gaming console when i was younger and you didn't have a podcast you had to do every week there you go didn't have a pot didn't have podcasts to listen to definitely didn't have In a phone general. um so it was just like you 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 found your way to entertain yourself maybe be more connected with people face to face and stuff like that well as time has grown we are now interacting with technology much more and more whether it's at work at home probably both in the car i mean 
I don't know. Never mind. I'm not going to say that. But anyway, so you're just <laughs> interacting with technology all the time, staring at it. And social media is a big one. It's entertaining. It's a way to connect with people for sure. Um, but I think a lot of times it ends up taking place of actual community development when you're talking to your neighbors or going to meetups or meeting people at fitness classes, whatever it is. So I think that lack of human connection is much more of what's impacting people in depression and anxiety. And when we're talking about adolescence, Man, I don't know about you, but I had a pretty tough time when I was an adolescent in high school. I was definitely not the most popular person, and I only had a few friends, was bullied by a lot, of, a lot of kids in high school. And if you added social media on top of that kind of shit, that would be insane. People could harass you not only while you're at school, but all the time. And it's like, how do you get out of that cycle of things? So it's it's not necessarily again that it's social media's fault, it's technology's fault. It's like, it's a it can be a contributing factor potentially, but there's more going on in your life than just is it my phone that's really making me depressed or anxious? Yeah, I I agree with that assessment. And I mean, you know, if it gives you any hope, I know um, there's been a couple articles out there that have kind of illustrated the trend of younger demographics kind of veering away from social media um like massively like i don't think a lot of people use it the same way that you know even even people in our age group use it or people in you know um older age groups use it i think there's different usage patterns and i think there's like this uh kind of push among young people to not use it as much so that's kind of hopeful for me um the link between anxiety, depression, and using your phone is an interesting one to me. Um, I think, as with all things, and I, I almost wish we would have talked about this in tandem with the digital well-being that Google's trying to push, um, or just di- digital well-being in general. You know, I think uh, the more we can get our heads out of our phones and look up into the world instead of just being on them, I think is a good thing, Be being aware of your surroundings. Um you know, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I'll be sitting on the couch looking at my phone, uh, where, while my kid is right next to me and I feel guilty about it and I don't want to feel guilty about it. So I'll like put down my phone and not look at it for several hours and spend time with him. Um, and I'm like, what am I doing? It's just kind of like one of these things. It's like, what am I doing right now that takes precedence over spending time with people in the moment? And I think a lot of people are, are becoming more and more savvy to that. And I think, uh, you know, right now our generation is is having children and we are producing offspring that we are teaching those lessons to, right? So I, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, a lot of us are kind of opening our eyes to it and saying, uh, trying to pass it along that, you know, be, be present and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about the future. I think um, it's good to know that, you know, there's not a link there and that hopefully we can... I don't know, get around this depression and anxiety in other ways. I know there's been like a lot of pushes uh, just even in mainstream to like, you know, um, what's the word? I'm, normalize anxiety and depression. So that way it's not like a, uh, it's not a disorder. It's something that everyone deals with in some way, shape or form. And, you know, by, by normalizing it, it doesn't make, it makes people feel like they have resources available to go out and um, tackle this type of thing. I don't know. Absolutely. Like, I, I think it's a very positive thing. I don't know how I said it was positive, but I, it's a very positive thing. I think the other thing I like about this study, like I'm not the, I'm not a giant fan of meta-analysis, but the reason that this is good is that at least people are looking at it. We're seeing different trends happening because um, I'm sure that you know, maybe in 2019 or 2018, we saw something negative about it because I've definitely read both sides of the fence. Um, but the one like interesting fact you pulled about like the fact that Congress is actually going to take a look at this and see like the impact that it's having and kind of pressured big tech companies to also, you know, look into it and really expose how they actually approach young people of all generations. I think that's important to do um, because the more we can learn like at a, at, even an outside of tech perspective and then hopefully having impacts on people that build these tech companies and that are focusing on kids. Um, maybe we have a, a better or a way to maybe lessen the impact. If we find out that there is a big causal link between, you know, 
X and Y. Um, but learning more about it and going ahead and starting those longitudinal studies that we can, you know, read in 10 years and really understand the impact of what we're doing is awesome because it, it'll hopefully set the precedent too that we start doing that as AI rolls out, as BCIs roll out. So I'm glad to see that like from a, at a government level, this stuff's being thought about in, in, in a thoughtful way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a great note to end on. All right, so we got one more segment of the show. We're going to go ahead and switch gears and get to... It came from... It came from... That's right. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. This could be any subreddit, uh, as long as it's talking about stuff that engages us in conversation, um, that allows Blake and I uh, to toot our own horns and provide some guidance for some of these lost souls on the Reddits. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Not really. It's just a it's a fun way to reach out to the community. That's why we do it. Um, okay. So I think we got time for all these, but let's just chug through them. All right, so the first one here is from the Human Factors subreddit. This is by user I Want Business. Uh, <laughs> Human Factors as a career field. I'm currently an industrial engineering major considering physical ergonomics, Human Factors as a career after graduation. What is the employability of ergonomics like? Also, is it easy to change from ergonomics to application engineering or supply chain five years down the line if I want to change career paths because I'm concerned human factors is too specialized of a career field to switch into other fields in the future? Blake, what do you think? This is interesting. So I've never really thought about it from that perspective because um, I guess he, when I got into human factors, I was so interested in it <laughs> that it didn't matter. I really wasn't thinking about it. So it's cool to see people thinking about this as like in five or 10 years, if I want to switch careers, how's this going to look? Honestly, I think if you, especially if you want to get into ergonomics, have at it. It's going to be awesome. Um, there's more people that know way more about ergonomics than I do for sure, but I have a pretty good feeling that designing spaces or designing physical products is always going to be a strong suit if you are like hey, I have a background in ergonomics so finding especially an engineering job if you're looking for physical design and if you're an industrial engineer like this indicates uh, it'll just be a great way to specialize what you do and kind of give you the extra skill set in terms of being scared of like uh, I human factors is too specialized I don't know if I can switch careers I think human factors is going to just stretch its fingers into a lot of different stuff. I mean, we're seeing, I know that aviation has been a typical, typical world, but that's, that's branching into drone technology. It's branching into interface design with drone technology and different types of, you know, unmanned vehicles. Now we've got autonomous vehicles and then you can look at the medical side of things. And then even if you really want to make the stretch like I do of like UX designs very much to me, very related to human factors it's just kind of like a one possible in input or in state of like designing interface so i think having the skill set and understanding how to impact technology whatever that is if it's physical or digital how it'll impact your end user and what methods you can use to make it the best experience possible i think human factors can do that for almost anything in the world that's probably an overstatement yeah, you know, I I don't know if it's an overstatement. So, like, I know people who have started in Human Factors and have gone into several different domains, right? Like, I don't think Human Factors is too specialized. I think you learn a lot of tools and uh, skill sets that you can apply to other things. I know Human Factors practitioners that have gone from Human Factors to marketing. I know some Human Factors practitioners that went from Human Factors proper to, like, agile scrum management um like it, different pathways emerge based on the type of things that you're working with and it all it's all a matter of how you spin what you've done it's all a matter of you know what kinds of experiences that you get while you're working on the human factor stuff and so like just know that if you're looking at this career field, I think this touches a lot of different areas. We frequently talk about how human factors people are kind of the liaison between a, a bunch of different product teams, right? Like there's the the developers, and then there's also the stakeholders, and there's also um, you know the users, and we are kind of the glue that 
sticks it all together and says, users need this, stakeholders want this, how can we send it to the developers to build something that's going to work for everybody? And, you know, as you interface with these other... Uh, nice one, Blake. As you interface <laughs> with these other... Um, other teams you are also building skills and i think a lot of it comes down to how you deal with people so that's my two cents um i think honestly you you kind of described the perfect program manager or pm should be a human factors person that's just long and short of it you can do anything get out of here yep all right uh we got two more i think let's see what how are we doing on time Um, Okay, let's just do one more then. We're going to do this one, and then uh, we'll get out of here. So does anyone actually read portfolio case studies? This is by user 40 by 26 on the UX subreddit. Um, Recruiters slash hiring managers, et cetera, is the cost greater than the benefit? I'm presumably to putting together portfolio case studies. Yep. Okay, so this is a little thing I know a lot about because I help people put case studies together all the time. And the case is, it depends, of course. Now, so here, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit as much as I can, right? So you may have people that actually, you know, sit down and read your case studies depending on your portfolio. If it meets, if it gets past, you know, the machine learning algorithm that was put together to weed out your resume, great. Uh, Somebody might look at it. Uh, Most of the time, a recruiter is told, is talks to like a PM or a UX design lead and they know like, okay, I really am looking for this type of style. So they may only be looking for specific attributes and not reading a full case study. The long and short of it is you're better off putting them together and understanding how to convey the story of what you've done and how you got to the end product. Because if you don't, you're unlikely to be able to execute talking about something like this in a presentation or in an online interview or when somebody brings you in and maybe they've looked at your website and they see a case study and it's not very well put together and they start asking you a lot of questions about it, you can really lose job opportunities that way. So it's a good exercise for you. It'll strengthen your the process that you use because it maybe it'll help. It's helped illuminate a lot of pitfalls and stuff that I've done in the past and stuff I've helped students do. Um, so it's a great learning opportunity and just a good overall practice. Will it always be worth the amount of time that you put into it? Maybe not, but at the end of the day, uh, having one good case study or two good case studies could really help you get a job versus not getting looks at all. Yeah, I agree with you, Blake. I think showing the process, showing, uh, how you came to a solution, even if that includes failure, I think failure is really important to highlight, especially in in sort of these uh, case studies that you're putting together, Um, because it shows that you've overcome something and it shows that you've taken different approaches and iterated on this thing to to get to the final product. Uh, And like you said, you know, if you go to a job talk or something, you are going to be, especially if you are talking on the thing that you uh, built here, you know, you're going to walk them through the story and you want to show your skills and say, look, we tried this thing. It didn't work. Um, and look, we tried this thing and it worked better, but then we tried this thing and it worked great. Uh, and going through that process, showing your work. Um, it's basically like showing your homework in high school, you know, like you go and, and say, I, I crossed the T and dotted the I, um, or I guess that's an English, I don't know, man. It's been forever since I've been in high school. Uh, you do the you do the pluses and the minuses and the carry the ones and all that stuff. And by the end of it, then they know exactly how you got to it. And it's the same thing. That's yep. all I'm saying. Showing your homework. It's a good practice. All right. Well, that's going to be it today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week. Um, you can join in the discussion on our Slack. Like I said earlier, you can... Uh, comment on any of these stories engage with us we'd love to hear what you guys think of this you can follow us on any of our social channels at h factors podcast if you want to write into the show we love hearing directly from you we in fact read every email that comes through our inbox we may not say it on the show but we read every single one um if you do want it on the show and if if it's something great you know we do bring those in into the community outreach section that we kind of do with the uh, came from reddit so please write in Uh, We're happy to talk to you on the show. Um, If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, uh, of course, you can always leave us a review on whatever podcast medium you are listening to this show on right now. There's likely a review button. 
hit that because what that does for us is it lets other people know what type of content they can expect when they go and listen to the show. And I can't express how much that helps people find the show. I can't express how much that helps the show grow uh, because the more we grow, the more we can produce great content for you. Um, and if you are in, if you know, if you happen to have a couple bucks that you don't need every month, you know, <laughs> you can support us on Patreon. That's always an option too. Um, you know, and of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about mm, children and TV screens? <laughs> That's an awkward one. Because you're an expert. Yeah, but you you guys can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack. In fact, if you're listening to this now, you've made it this far, let me know what your favorite story of the week was. And if you want to chat with me on social media about screen time, spending too much time on your phone or whatever it may be, you can always find me at Don't Panic UX across all social media channels. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.